0: Don't you love worshiping the Lord? And I love worshiping the Lord with you. We are in the Minor Prophets. We have already gone through Hosea, Joel, and Amos. And tonight we are in the book of Obadiah. How many of you have ever had a service or a sermon or a teaching on Obadiah? Or even a song, yeah, anything on Obadiah. Who even knows where Obadiah is? It's that little book in the middle of the Minor Prophets that if you turn over one too many pages, literally you miss it, okay? Uh, And and by the way, we're going to be hitting two books tonight. We're going to get Obadiah, which is going to take us about 20, 30 minutes, and then um, we'll get into the book of, of Jonah. I told you when we started the Minor Prophets, Uh, that if you miss a week or you, you know, even just blink sometimes, uh, you miss a book. And that's true with the book of of Obadiah. I love the book of Obadiah because it is only one of three Old Testament books that reaches to the Gentiles exclusively. Exclusively non-Jewish people. All the rest of the Old Testament is for the Jews. 100 percent that now of course we'll see you know edom in several of the other books isaiah and jeremiah ezekiel mention uh uh, the edomites but a a book 100 percent dedicated to the edomites it shows that god truly does love the world right he loves everybody in the world including uh, uh the edomites by the way the other two books Jonah, which we'll also get to tonight, exclusively to the Ninevites, which are going to become the Assyrians, and then the next book that'll be uh, also exclusively uh, to the Gentiles is the small book of Nahum as well. Obadiah is written exclusively to uh, the Edomites, and I know many of you already know this answer, uh, but who was the father of the Edomite? You guys know Esau, the twin brother of Jacob. Remember Jacob and Esau, they were twins, and, and Jacob loved to stay at home, right? He, he was the mama's boy. He was the one that was known for his deceit and his lying. And then you had Esau, who would go out into the field and, and hunt, and he was the, the guy that was covered in red. He knew how to bring home that meal that his dad, Isaac, uh, loved. By the way, he was the firstborn. Tonight, as we start the book of Obadiah, we're just going to read the first two verses here, and then we'll, we'll pray, we'll get into this. The vision of Obadiah, thus says Lord Yahweh concerning Edom. Uh, we have heard a report from Yahweh, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise. And let us arise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. And so, Father, tonight as we approach this small but mighty book, this, this minor prophet that preaches a major message for those who um, are on the outskirts, those that are not the Jewish people, those are not the chosen People of God, and yet you're still reaching out to them. You're still calling them to repent. You're still uh, calling them to come to you as well. Lord, we thank you that you do reach to the whole world and not just a particular nation or people group or a certain type of people, uh, a certain skin color or certain status in life or, or whatever it is. You reach to the whole world. You call to the whole world. You love the whole world. And so, Lord, help us to see your love tonight as we go through this book of Obadiah. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us tonight, too. Maybe we know someone that um, we may not be friends with or, or even um, understand completely or, or may not relate to, even. And as Obadiah and even even Jonah later on declare you reach out to those who were your enemies even you even died for your enemies you died for us who were your enemies before we came to you so lord give us that heart that you have that heart for those that are lost just as you did to obadiah and then later on to uh, jonah as well lord we love you in jesus name we pray amen and amen Jobadi- obadiah Uh, means servant of uh, the Lord so every time you see this this title this name for Obadiah uh, it means servant of uh, the Lord and we've been using the uh, legacy standard Bible for just the minor prophets we're only going to be using it for these four books in the Bible and the reason why as you've noticed already Uh, The word for Yahweh, the name of God, is literally translated as his name in uh, the English rather than the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most other uh, translations. And it just kind of uh, brings out the flavor, the personal nature of God to uh, not only the people of Israel, but also to the world as well. Uh, Way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 25, we learn about Esau, who was the father of the Edomites. And you may remember this story. You've probably heard this story many, many times. In Genesis, chapter 25, verses 27 to 34, it says And the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. And remember, Jacob's name means heel grabber. Uh, His name means heel grabber or deceiver or liar, which is what uh, most of his life is going to be about. In fact, he's going to deceive his brother. He's going to deceive his dad. He's going to deceive his uncle. Uh, He's going to be deceived multiple times in, in his life as well until his name changes to Israel which he's going to be the father of the Israelite. Verse 28 of Genesis 25, it says, Isaac loved Esau because he had an appetite for hunted game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What is already happening in the family division, right? This is my favorite, and this is your favorite, right? The dad had his favorite, and the mom had her favorite. and Jacob had cooked stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Then Esau said to Jacob, Please give me a swallow of that red stuff, this red stuff, for I am famished.
1: Therefore his name was called, and there you get it right there, Edom. Isn't that amazing yeah, but by the way, Esau means red Edom means red he he was if you go back a little
0: bit further to when they were born he he's described as this little red carpet that comes out of the womb, just covered in red hair, right yeah just just covered in in this red getting his name, but Jacob said, and this is his first deceit, his first um a way of getting to his brother, first sell me your birthright. Because back then, what would happen is, if you were the firstborn, you had a special privilege. You got not only what was called the birthright, but you got the double blessing as well. And, And in this case, what would happen is, since there was two sons, the property or the division of the wealth would be divided three times Uh, Jacob would have gotten one portion, and Esau would have gotten two portions. So how much would Esau have gotten as the firstborn son? Two-thirds. Not half, two-thirds. Not not 50%, but 66% of all the wealth. And then Jacob would have gotten one-third. And the reason why, of course, there were several... Uh, was because he was first born. And then the other one, he was responsible for taking care of the family after his dad died. And so because of that, they were given a certain amount. The same thing happened when uh, I, uh, Israel dies, when Jacob died. His, his property, his wealth is going to be split 13 ways, not 12 ways, 13 ways. And it's not going to go to Reuben or Asher or Levi or even Judah, it's gonna go two 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 parts, two twelfths or two thirteenths, are gonna to go to Joseph, remember? And his sons are gonna become tribes rather than Joseph becoming a tribe. But that's for another study. Esau, as he says. First, sell me your birthright. Nyssa said, behold, I'm about to die. Uh, so of what use then is this birthright to me? He's famished. And of course, I don't know how long he's been out in the forest. But all of you know that if someone comes to you, especially a a, you know, a teenager or something, how long does it take him to get famished? Yeah you know, and he's probably been out just one day. We don't know exactly how long he's been out, but he feels like he's starving and all he wants is this bowl of red beans and a little bit of bread and he's willing to give his birthright for it. And of course, what does Jacob do? He seizes on the opportunity. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went away and Thus, Esau despised his birthright. You see, not only was Esau known for his hunter's prowess, not only was Esau known for his strength and his ability to hunt, but he's known for his pride as well. In fact, this is the theme of the book of Obadiah. Look at what it says in verse 3 of Obadiah. I love the book of Obadiah because you don't have to say the chapter. Okay, all you got to say is the verse, right? It's simple, right? Verse three of Obadiah, right? You don't have to say a chapter before it. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. By the way, both brothers are mentioned just in that one line. Esau's arrogance and Jacob's deceit all within one phrase. Family affair, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock cliff in the height of your habitation, who says in his heart, who will bring me down to the earth? By the way, what was the first sin? It happened not in the garden, by the way. It happened in heaven. Right. What happened to the highest of the angels, the one who was that archangel who led all the choirs of heaven that wanted the glory for himself? Lucifer. What happened? Because of his pride. We see it right here. Kicked out, right? Same thing with Esau. Same thing with the nation of Edom. Though you build loftily like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares Yahweh, signing his name to the act. Signing his name. To the act of bringing down Edom. By the way, it's so easy to distance ourselves from the Old Testament. It's very easy to distance ourselves from the prophets. That was written 2,700 years ago. That was written 3,000 years ago. But it is just as applicable today. And do I battle with pride as I look at myself in the mirror? Yeah, All of us do. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how... You will be ruined. Uh, uh, Would they not thieve only until they had enough? If great gatherers came to you, would they not allow some gleanings to remain? Oh, how Esau will be searched out and his hidden treasures ransacked. You see, the Edomites were one of these nations that uh, not only were known for their prowess in battle, but they were known for how they lived as well. You see, the Edomites lived as they were named in places of red, in places that were known for their red rocks. In fact, if you go even to Jordan today, you can go to these places. I have just a couple of pictures for you guys uh, to see. This is modern-day Petra. And this is where the Edomites would have been uh, after they'd come back. Not only you know during the time when uh, Obadiah is writing, but also uh, before. They were known for their archaeology. They were known for their ability to carve into the rocks where they would uh, dwell in uh, the rocks. You can see a picture of of here. It's just absolutely amazing, by the way. Uh, this you have to kind of walk about uh, a couple of miles just to go back there. About a a mile and, and a little bit more, and, and go back into this area. Next picture, please. Th- this is uh, my wife here, and I think Jeanette's in that picture too, yeah. And then the next one, and then this is the what they're most known for is, is this, the place of Petra uh, there, and of course, Kevin's out in front, you know, rocking his style, you know, which is good. Yeah, so they not only were named red, but they lived in rocks that were red or in places that were red, and they were well-adapted to be able to uh, hide. They were well-adapted to be able to uh, fight in their surrounding. But what will God do? He will bring them down. And by the way, that's true even today. All the men who have a covenant with you will send you forth to the border, and the man at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no discernment in them. Will I not on that day, declares Yahweh, cause the wise men to perish from Edom and discernment from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, so that each one may be cut off from the mountain of Esau. By slaughter. Why is God wiping out the Edomite?
1: Why is God causing their downfall? Because of their pride. Well, that's not the only reason. Verse 10, it lists the next sin against the Edomite.
0: Verse 10, because of violence to your brother Jacob. By, by the way, twin brother. Twin brother Jacob. Not not just a a brother that they're distant from, but a a person that they shared the womb with. Uh, Their twin brother they have had violence against. Uh, You will cover with shame. You will be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof. On the day that strangers took his wealth captive and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. What is this saying about the Edomites? They were there when Jerusalem fell, and they were there to share in the spoils. They wanted their relatives to fall so that they could uh, gain from it, so they could enjoy the spoils themselves. In fact, in, in 586 B.C., when Jerusalem falls, Nebuchadnezzar's army crushed Judah, destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's temple, ending Judah's existence as an independent nation. Edom, as a closely related nation, should have helped Judah's refugees. In fact, this is what happened after the the Babylonians came in, destroyed, and we, we read about this in the book of Jeremiah. When, when Babylon came in and, and literally razed Jerusalem to the ground, including the temple itself, destroyed, demolished that once beautiful temple of King Solomon. And, and those refugees that had left that were fleeing to the east through Jordan, uh, through the territory of the Edomite. But instead of offering sympathy and help, Edom handed Judeans over to the conquering Babylonians. The Edomites even murdered some of the refugees. Such treachery to a related nation could not be overlooked. So God gave Obadiah a stern message for Edom, a warning of God's judgment on them for their callous treatment. Of the fleeing Judean the Edomite's pride and presumed self-sufficiency became their downfall. And by the way, you can read about uh, this destruction that happens. we don't get to see the full measure of it here in the book of Obadiah, uh, but but if if you read uh, several other, you know uh, Josephus or other accounts uh, extra biblical accounts and even in the book of maccabees which is in what's called the apocrypha uh, the edomites were pushed into what had been southern judea and in the second century the resurgent jewish nation under the maccabees conquered the edomites and forcibly converted them into judaism how how does god preserve a nation incorporates it into his own He incorporates it into his own. Isn't that amazing? Their their relatives now are part of who they are. The Edomites being part of uh, the Judean. Continues on in Obadiah verse 12. Now do not look on your brother's day with triumph and the day of his misfortune. And do not be glad over the sons of Judah in the day when they perish. And do not let your mouth speak great things in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Indeed, you do not look on their calamity with triumph in the day of their disaster. And do not send out their wealth in the day of their disaster what phrase is being repeated over and over and over again in the day of their disaster what what is a brother supposed to do in the day of disaster for their own brother and for their own relatives for their own family they're supposed to help them we all know that your moms tell you that all the time right verse 18 And the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau will be a stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them. So that there will be no survivor in the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken. By the way, over and over and over and over and over again, throughout the book of Obadiah, there's this call repent, 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 come. I know I skipped some verses here. I want to go back to verse 14. It says, Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down those among them who escape and do not deliver them over to their survivors in the day of their
1: what? Distress. What, what happens in your time of distress? What, what do you need in the time of your distress? You need help. You need someone to be there. And normally, who are the first people that we reach out to? In the day of our distress. Family, right? What we need. What is it like to be cast out on the day of your distress?
0: Verse 15, for the day of Yahweh draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Uh, you know what you sow, you'll also reap. That is not only for a, a positive, but it's also for a negative as well. Uh, verse 16: Because just as you all drank on my holy mountain, on the na- all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow, and they will be as if they w- never were. But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. And of course, we read this earlier not only in the book of josephus but also in the book of maccabees where they are incorporated into the jewish nation when they themselves are in distress the edomites who will take them in
1: their brother
0: their twin brother and who's the one that's going to cause this to happen it's going to be yahweh Verse 19, it continues on. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau and those of Shephelah and the Philistine plain. And, and they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. All these places that we've seen here, we, we've kind of gone over before, especially when we were in the book of Amos. Remember, Samaria is the northern capital of the northern nation of Israel, Uh, all the descendants of Jeroboam are the kings, all the kings come from the tribe of Ephraim in the north, verse 20, and the exiles of this military force of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Zarephath will possess the cities of the Negev and the survivors will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will belong to Yahweh. Does God still reach out to the law? Does God still reach out to his enemies even? Even though they themselves turn their back on the Judeans, what will God do to those Edomites, those remnant?
1: He will reach out to them. Don't you love it that God doesn't take revenge?
0: Aren't you glad that he doesn't pay you back for what you did to him? Aren't you glad that he reaches out to you with love when you are his enemy? That's the book of Obadiah in a nutshell. Wow, it only took us 24 minutes. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Isn't that, I mean, just, just so powerful,
1: this little book. It is not minor, by the way. It's major. It's powerful. This leads us into Jonah. The, the other book that is
0: written exclusively to non-Jewish people, Gentiles. Okay? Now, I love the book of Jonah because, you know, I, I taught Sunday school for I don't know, since 2008 until uh, 2020, you know. And so it, it was one of those periods in my life being able to go through these, what we call Sunday school stories, right? And Jonah, of course, is very, very part of the, the Sunday school curriculum. If you ever went to Sunday school, you probably heard about Jonah. And what is Jonah known for, by the way? Ah, yes, Jonah and the, well, or if you're a VeggieTales fan or whatever, you know, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, uh, Jonah takes its own flack because of what people think of the book of Jonah. They call it mythology, or they say that it's not true, and we'll we'll see uh, how it is very, very true. Jonah's name means dove. If you were to see a symbol of a dove, we have it here on the, the, the walls. Uh, when, you, when you see a symbol of a dove, what does it remind you of? Peace, peace, that's another one, and also Holy Spirit, okay? So think of these terms when we go to Jonah. Now, I never start Jonah verse 1, chapter 1, never. I never do that because we do not understand his heart if you read the first verse. You have to skip to the end to understand Jonah's thought. You have to skip to the end of the book in order to understand what Jonah is thinking when he gets on that boat. Okay, Because most people think that Jonah's scared. Most people think that he's afraid. He doesn't want to go jo- uh, to Nineveh because he's scared of them. Or, or he's fearful. Or he doesn't want to lose his life. But that is not the reason why Jonah gets
1: on the boat. We find out the answer in Jonah chapter 4, actually. I'm going to read
0: the last verse of Jonah chapter 3, and then we'll read the first three verses of Jonah chapter 4, and we'll get the heart of Jonah. By the way, his name means what? Dove. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, this amazing thing happens. An entire city is converted. Absolutely amazing. If you were a missionary, what would you be doing? Amazing joy oh. of God answered my prayer. An entire massive capital city is saved, right? Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds and they, they turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Thank God. Thank God they got converted. Everybody's clapping like ebony. Everybody's dancing. In fact, this conversion was so great it went from the the king all the way down to the servants, right? But what did Jonah do? Jonah and, And normally this isn't in any Sunday school story, by the way. This isn't in you know the 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 you know the the little books. It doesn't talk about that. Jonah chapter four verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry, and he throws a tantrum. He literally throws a tantrum. He prayed to the Lord and said, uh, "Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Uh, therefore, in order to prevent this." I fled to Tarshish. I did not want this to happen, so I went to the other side of the world. I knew you would do this. I knew you would do this, God. That's why I didn't want to come. For I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. By by the way, he's saying this in derision. He did not want this for the Ninevite. And the one who relents concerning calamity Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. I'd rather die than see these people get great. I, I'd rather
1: die than see the Ninevite repent. And, and we'll, we'll get to this probably
0: next week, but he, he literally throws a, a grown-up-sized tantrum on a hill as he's watching the nation of nineveh joyfully repent wanting god to wipe them off the planet i was a missionary for about eight years two weeks after i was graduated from college i i went with a mission agency to the island of guam we we were able to broadcast to half the world's population uh, from this small island i remember all the not only the forms i had to fill out but you have to write essays you have to get you know people to vouch for you you have to raise support you have to have interviews and they always ask you these questions about you know your love for other people your your love for being a missionary they they want to see your heart there's a standard to being a missionary right There's a desire on the heart of the missionary that's
1: willing to sacrifice their own comfort for other people. Jonah would fail. Jonah's literally the worst missionary ever.
0: This is not the standard of a missionary hating the people that you're called to. Wanting them to be exterminated.
1: By by the way, what does Jonah's name mean? Isn't that amazing? The humor of God,
0: by the way, choosing the most unlikely person to minister to
1: another people group. You know what that shows? It doesn't matter the person, it matters God.
0: It doesn't matter the message, because by the way, he's going to preach the shortest sermon ever. As he's stomping through the streets of Nineveh, throwing his tantrum.
1: It doesn't matter. God's going to cause repentance. Not because of the person. Not because of the people. But because of his grace, his mercy. By the way, he did that with you too, by the way.
0: Thank God. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for evil has come up before them. Yet Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. Why did he run?
1: He was not scared. He didn't care about drowning. In fact, he wants to drown, as we'll find out.
0: He, He would rather... Die, then have to go to Nineveh. He he's not scared of the Ninevites hurting him in any way. He 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 doesn't lack you know
1: courage. What is his heart? Why is he going to the other side of the world? The he hate?
0: By the way, there's a map. I. I I love showing this map when I go through the book of of Jonah. You really get the dimensions of the travel, the extent of the travel uh, that Jonah goes to in order to not go to Nineveh, okay? Uh, Joppa, where we're going to see the port, is that he gets onto, in order to go to Tarshish, is on the western side of the Mediterranean Ocean, and Tarsus is way on the other side of the ocean, the, the other side of the known world at this time. By the way, there's another person from Tarsus in the Bible. Thank you. Yes, Lewis. Who, who, by the way, became Paul, who was the greatest missionary. Isn't that amazing?
1: The place where Jonah is going to is the place where Paul is going to be born. Uh, Don't you love the way the Lord works? He's going to get on
0: a boat in Joppa. He's going to sail to Tarshish. Somewhere in this vast ocean is where they're going to experience this storm But where does the fish drop him off at? It cannot drop him off at the doorsteps of Nineveh because Nineveh is landlocked. Nineveh, as you see, and this is the great thing about maps, you actually get to see where these places are. Nineveh is at least 400
1: miles from any shore. So what does Jonah have to do?
0: he has to walk after he's been vomited out by a whale by the way isn't god's planning perfect so jonah chapter 2 we see this happen yet jonah or excuse me verse 3 yet jonah rose to flee to tarshish from the presence of yahweh so he went down to joppa found a ship which was going to tarshish paid its fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. By the way, when you disobey God,
1: you have to pay for it yourself. What is he doing? He's willing to spend his own
0: money in order to go to the opposite side of the world, not on a cruise, but to go there in order to prevent the message
1: going to Nineveh prevent them from hearing the message why did Jonah hate the Ninevites so much by the
0: way the Ninevites later become and the, the capital of Nineveh later becomes the capital of what we call the Assyrian empire the empire that's going to come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. It's going to later on be part of the Babylonian empire, which is going to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem in 722 B.C. Now, Jonah being a prophet, does he know what's going
1: to happen in the future of the Ninevites? Does he know they're going to be used to destroy Israel? As a prophet of God, does he know it? Yes, he does.
0: Does he know that they're going to repent and Israel is
1: not? And that God's going to use them to discipline his own people? As a prophet,
0: does he know that? Yes, he does you understand now, just a little glimpse. Also, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. He knows just by being, and he's probably a contemporary of Amos, what Amos was describing when the people of Israel would be led with meat hooks in their cheeks, and when the Assyrians run out of meat hooks, they're going to use fish hooks. Remember, we read about that in the book of Amos. Where where he's going to take those and, you know, pardon the language, is, you know, just quoting from Amos, those cows of Bashan are led through the gaps in the wall by meat hooks, right? But also, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. In fact, just 40 years before the time of the writing of the book of Jonah, there was this pillar that was put up by. Uh, the king of Nineveh, whether it was the king of Nineveh at this time or a previous king, we're not really sure. But it says, I built a pillar over against his gate. I flayed all the chief men, and I covered the pillar with their skin. This is the king of Assyria. This is the king of Nineveh. Some I impaled upon a pillar on stakes. Many captives I burned with fire. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others I cut off their noses, their ears. Of many I put out their
1: eyes. 875 B.C. Written by the king of Nineveh.
0: Do you understand maybe a little glimpse into why Jonah hated them so much? Not only did he know that they would be used to destroy
1: his nation, but he hated them for who they were. It's called racism. It's called prejudice, right? That literally
0: hatred to the point where you don't want them to hear the good news in
1: order that God would exterminate them. Right? That's, That's the depth of the hatred of Jonah
0: toward the Ninevites. Verse 4, it continues on there, but Yahweh hurled great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship gave thought to breaking apart. Then the sailors became fearful and every man cried to his God and they, they hurled the cargo, which was in the ship into the sea in order to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gotten down into the innermost part of the vessel, laid down and fallen deep asleep. Which direction is he sailing in, by the way? This isn't the same type of sleep that Jesus had in the boat. This isn't the same type of sleep. Why is he falling asleep? I'm finally not having to go to Nineveh. And and by the way, he's, you know, even going to, would rather be thrown into the sea rather than going back. Now, on this boat, and of course, being a typical, you know, uh, uh, sailing vessel, uh, this, you know, crew is is not, you know, um, Jewish. You know, they're, they're not crying out to Yahweh. They're not, not crying out to the God of the Israelites. Who are they crying out to? Yeah, they're gods. And the gods of the ocean, the gods of the sea, the gods of the, the Mediterranean Ocean. They're, they're crying out because they're in the midst of this storm. They're about ready to die. They themselves fear for their lives, of course. Jonah does not. So the captain came near to him and said to him, How is it that you are deeply sleeping? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. By the way, this tells you the relationship of the sailors to their God. Do their little idols, do their wood or stone or whatever kinds of idols they have, care or even able to listen to the cries of their
1: followers no they don't care they're deaf they're mute they don't hear verse seven then each man said to the other
0: come let us have the lots fall so that we may know on whose account this calamitous evil has struck us by the way that that word calamitous means uh, earth-shattering or world-shattering literally the 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 area where they're at where the storm is coming these are seasoned sailors by the way and they're scared to death the storm that they're in they're they're not trying to push through this storm they're ready to die They're crying out to every kind of God they can even think of, even the God of this guy
1: who's asleep on the boat. They don't even know, by the way. So they had the lots fall and the lot fell on.
0: They said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamitous evil struck us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? By the way, this missionary, this Jonah, this prophet, didn't even tell those people on the boat why he was there.
1: He just went down to his room or the place in the boat where he was supposed to be and he fell asleep. Is that what a missionary
0: does? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made
1: the sea and the dry land. And what does every single man on that boat do? They're scared. scared. Why? Why are they scared? Because someone has disobeyed the true God
0: and he's made them angry. And they're collateral. They're sharing the same boat with the guy who disobeyed
1: the God of the universe, the one who's in control of the earth and the sea. Do you understand their fear? Do you understand the terror that they're going through?
0: And again, these are seasoned sailors. They've had to deal with storms before.
1: But this storm is different because it's caused by someone who's angry. Who's causing this terror to
0: come upon them. Then the men became greatly afraid, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. I mean, this is unfathomable to these guys, because no one would disobey their God. No one would do this, right? You, You know what happens if you disobey a God, especially a God who's not only in control of the ocean, but also in charge of the whole world. Why would you ever disobey? To them, that would have been unfathomable.
1: And it scared them to death. Jonah's doing it. But by the way, why is Jonah doing it? Why is Jonah willing
0: to risk the wrath of God on his own life? Because he hates the Ninevites. He'd rather have the wrath of God on him and go down into the deepest part of the ocean than have to go and tell the
1: Ninevite. Do you understand that? Are you getting a new perspective of Jonah? The, the
0: hatred that Jonah had toward the Ninevites, willing even to risk that wrath of God. So they said to him, uh, What should we do that the sea may become quiet for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So he said to them, lift me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become quiet for you. Isn't that amazing, by the way? Willing to drown. By the way, he doesn't know what's waiting for them.
1: He doesn't know that yet. You all know. But what is he expecting when he hits that ocean? Now. This shows the amazing grace
0: of God. This doesn't show the amazing love of Jonah for a people group,
1: no. It shows the grace of God. Because what is God willing to do? Bring Jonah from the middle of an ocean where he's run to all the way back because of his love for the Ninevites. But by the way, and I know all of you know this, Jesus uses
0: Jonah in the belly of the well as an illustration of his own death, burial, and resurrection.
1: Not because of Jonah, but because of God's love, God's grace.
0: Absolutely, absolutely amazing. Do the men want to do this? Of course not. However, the men rode desperately to return to dry land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy against them. Then they called on Yahweh and said, oh, Yahweh, they've you know, abandoned their, you know, idols, their their stone gods, converted, not because of Jonah, but because of, you know, fear of their own life. You know, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Oh, Yahweh, we earnestly pray, Please do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Yahweh, as you have pleased, you have done. So they lifted up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea stood steel from its
1: raging boom. Just like that. By by the way, who's converted? Sailors. Does God need the missionary? Even when the missionary disobeys, does God
0: still show his grace? Thank God, by the way. Because that means it's not dependent
1: upon us. It's 100% dependent upon the grace of God. Always. Salvation always is. Always. The, The person that may have come to you and witnessed to you probably bumbled it up or something like that. They didn't have to be eloquent.
0: You don't have to be eloquent. You have to just trust God. You just have to obey God. Verse 17, And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. This word great fish, and of course there's always you know people that debunk uh, Jonah, but of course there is truth to this. It could have been a, a sperm whale or even a, a whale shark or some sort of a Big uh, fish. Uh, the word is very general in the the Hebrew. Uh, by the way, a, a sperm a whale have been known to swallow fifteen foot sharks. So, if Jonah was average height, would he have been easily been able to fit inside of a whale? Yeah, you've seen how big whales are. Or even uh, a, a whale, a shark have been known to swallow men. Whole, uh, these are sharks that not only, uh, uh, they're similar to a whale, they don't, they don't have teeth. They, they actually uh, uh, have, have these like, um, uh, I don't know what they're called. They're, they're like hairs in their mouth where they actually swallow whole uh, their prey. But even Jesus, of course, uh, mentions Jonah not as a mythology but as truth as a true historical character, that this event actually happened in Hebrew history. And Jesus confirms this not only in the book of Matthew, but also in the book of Luke as well. Uh, Two times in the book of Matthew, one time in the book of of Luke. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and said to him, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil, and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign. And yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. By the way, the Sadducees and the Pharisees had the same exact attitude that Jonah did.
1: They had all the religious religiosity. They had all the knowledge. But did they have the love for the people? No, they did not. No, they did not. They had pride and selfishness. They didn't care what happened to the people. Did not care. The sign of Jonah,
0: verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, as so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Using that same illustration that we're going to see in chapter 2 of Jonah being in the earth, being in this place of darkness for three days and three nights. And the result is going to be grace
1: in both cases. Where when Jesus rises, he conquers death, hell, and Satan. And he brings about
0: salvation, not just for a single nation, not just for a certain people group, but for what? The whole world. Matthew chapter 12 verse 41, "Then the men of Nineveh stood, uh, stand up with this generation of judgment, and they will condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Someone that actually loves you is here. So someone that actually is going to die for you is here, standing right before you right now. And, and the Ninevites are going to stand in judgment over this generation, the ones that are denying who jesus is wow how powerful is that and he uses jonah as the illustration by the way because despite what jonah does god's going to cause a massive revival massive repentance a massive change of heart an entire uh city chapter two verse one it's very short we'll we'll just get through a couple of these verses uh chapter two now Oh, he's in the belly of a fish, he's in the belly of this this whale. He's in this darkness and what do you do when you're in you know, uh seclusion or in a, you know, in a belly of a fish? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, there's probably lots of things you could be doing, but is Jonah now in the perfect spot for God to talk to him.
1: There's quiet there's dark, and there's nothing to do. Right? Now, you have to understand uh, you know where he's at. Okay, there's
0: there's several things you kind of have to put your mind around. We'll go into this more detailed
1: uh, next week, but what do you smell whenever you're around fish? Fish. That's the only thing you can smell when you're on fish, right?
0: You even go close to a fish market, and what do you smell? You go even close to a place where they sell
1: fish, and what does it smell like? Imagine being in a fish. Not, Not just for a short time, but
0: for three days where literally the acid in the fish's stomach is bleaching your skin. Where where the acid in that fish is permeating through every single one of your pores, your cloak, your clothes, your hair, everything. Makes you gag. I see how back gagging. You're gagging, right? And Jonah is in this place because of his disobedience.
1: And is God still being gracious to Jonah? Thank God, by the way. Could have been worse. Now, how does he survive? How does he live? (laughs) He doesn't have a knife. You know, I don't know how, you know.
0: Do you understand, especially a, a mammal? What does a mammal have to do?
1: Breathe. What does every single whale have to do? Go up for air. You understand that, right? that there, there's a logical way that god works okay why did he choose this kind of mammal because it provided jonah with oxygen
0: even in its belly right now of course you know i mean again you have to picture this you have to to smell it you have to experience this you have to understand what's happening but when you read chapter 2 and hopefully you'll, you'll read the, the next 3 you won't just read chapter 2 hopefully you'll have a different perspective when you read the rest of, of Jonah but when he's calling and comparing this place that he's at to Sheol the, the waiting place of the dead he, he, he himself it is literally in a belly of a whale experiencing slow consumption of his own body by the acids in that whale, by the acids in that fish, right? So as you go through this, uh, and I'm just going to read the first verse, you know, just to kind of uh, help you through this. And I I love this, by the way. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God, from the
1: stomach of the fig. What does he finally do? It's to God. He talks all, all the rest of the book he's been running from God. This is the only part of the book where he actually cries out to God. From the belly of the... And by the way, he calls him by name. We see that very, very clearly
0: here. And even in every other translation, it's always the name of God that he cries out to. That personal relationship, the belly of a fish. So hopefully as you read through the book of Jonah, you'll get a new perspective for it, maybe even a new appreciation for uh, the grace of God, the depth of the grace of God, not only for the people Uh, Nineveh, but also for uh, Jonah himself. By the way, what does Jonah mean? Dove, right? And he thank you, Dino. Appreciate it very much. God bless you, dear Father. I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to go through these, these small books that are truly powerful, these small books that show your love for the world. These books in the Bible that so many times we don't take the time ourselves to read it, but uh, yet yeah, are so so powerful in terms of your grace and your mercy and your love for a dying people, and how you use us, even in our own uh, prejudice, our own hatred for other people, to reach out. If we would just tear down those our walls ourselves, Lord, we would reach out to those people around us that. We may um find at odds with or even enemies of or or hopeless cases or or people you know that that we may even want to be separated from you forever and ever. We would never admit to thinking that we would never admit to saying that, but maybe it's part of our our
1: own um attitude. Even our own thoughts sometimes. I want to tell them because. Lord, please forgive us. As you do, Jonah. Lord, thank you for being gracious to us. And so, Lord, help us never to be selfish with your grace. Help us never to be selfish with your mercy and love. Lord, as you did. You gave
0: it freely. Help us to do the same. Help us to reach out to those around
1: us that are in need of your love and your mercy and your grace. And like Jonah, as we'll learn, it doesn't matter
0: the message or even the person, it matters the God. It's our love for you, Lord, that it would shine through to those around us that they would want as the sailors are converted and they, they see the power of Jonah's God and
1: they just fall on their faces. Are we too cry out as well. Lord, reach out to those around us. Use us for your glory as we cry out every single week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God